A number of years ago, a woman in Kansas City walked into a Haagen-Dazs ice cream shop at the Plaza Shopping Center. While waiting, she turned to find actor Paul Newman standing behind her. He was in town filming a movie and was now standing behind his biggest fan. He smiled at her and said, hello. She took one look at those legendary blue eyes and her knees almost buckled. Her heart was in her throat. She tried to speak, but not a sound came out. Mortified, she turned around and paid for her ice cream and quickly walked out the store. Outside, she sits down on the bench, catches her breath. She calms down, and she realized she didn't have her ice cream cone. She was debating whether or not to walk back into the store to get her ice cream when all of a sudden out comes Paul Newman walking out. You looking for your ice cream, he said. Speechless again, she just nods. You put it in your purse with your change. (laughs) You know, several years ago, Wanda and I had the awesome privilege of winning a trip to New York City. And uh, we were able to go to New York and we stayed in the W Hotel, which was very fancy for us. And uh, we won it on the radio station, Christian radio station. And so we're there and, and we're checking into our room and getting our bags uploaded and going on the elevator. And I don't know where we heard it, but somebody said that George Clooney was in the lounge. Any of you ever heard of George Clooney? A lot of the ladies have. (laughs) Well, needless to say, my wife was very excited, and we were hurrying up to the room and getting our luggage unloaded. And then we had to go back downstairs to the lobby, and we wanted to go and see if we could spot George Clooney in the lounge. And so she was much more excited about it than I was. To me, I didn't see what the big deal was with George Clooney. But anyway, she wanted to go, and uh, I will tell you the end of the story. We did not spot George Clooney. So, But if we did, I would imagine that we would be much like this lady, or Wanda at least would have been much like this lady in the story of the ice cream that she put in her purse. Uh, Probably all googly eyes and silly. Our generation is infatuated with celebrities. Movie stars, rock stars, athletic superstars, they dominate the headlines of our magazines and tabloids. We love to read about their lavish lifestyle and their ruined relationships. Our children, even when we ask them to name some of their heroes, inevitably they will list a media personality. I wonder, how is it that we can get so excited about meeting a celebrity, yet week after week we gather together to enter into the presence of God, and we greet him with a yawn or a shrug, and we leave the church service unaffected. This morning, I want us to look at the life of an individual prophet, see what happens to him after he has an encounter with God. You see, I'm convinced that when we have a genuine encounter with the Savior, we will walk different, we will talk different, We are changed. Encountering Jesus will change your steps. And my desire is that after we examine the text this morning, we'll evaluate our lives and be able to answer this question, what's your next step? What's your next step after today? Let's pray together. Father, you know that my heart's desire is to communicate the truth of God's word. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this encounter that 
Isaiah has with, with you. That, Lord, we would sense the same awe and the same reverence that he did. Lord, we pray that you will just speak through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And I do not have the PowerPoint for the screens or anything like that. Um, You're going to have to be in suspense waiting to find out what's coming next. But you do have an outline in your handout, a four-point outline that you can follow along with. And then if you want to jot down some scriptures, some of them I'll just read and, and move quickly on them. You may want to jot those down so you can come back and, and follow up with them. But uh, if you don't mind, I'm, I'd like for us to stand as we read the, the Word of God in honor of that. Um, some people may say, why, why do you want us to stand? Well, in the Old Testament, when they read the Scriptures, they would stand and just personal conviction. And so I'm asking you to stand as we read the Holy Word of God. Isaiah 6, let's start with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You may be seated. Let me kind of give you a nutshell as to what's going on right here. King Uzziah had reigned and was leading in Israel for uh, 52 years. And, And he was a righteous king. He was doing things according to what God would want him to do. And so here we have Isaiah in this situation of losing his leader. And so he's at a point where there's turmoil. He doesn't know what in the world his next step is going to be. Who's who's going to replace this king? Will this king be a a righteous king following God and, and, and living according to the law? And so he's in this state of confusion and just wondering... You know, what, what's going to happen next? And so he decides to go to the temple. And that's where we pick up this experience that he has in Isaiah 6. The first thing I want us to see is that God's glory is revealed. God's glory is revealed. And we see that in verses 1 through 4. Let me read those again to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two covering the feet, and with two they did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The first thing we notice about the Lord here as Isaiah is looking up and this vision comes before him. He's sitting on the throne. I don't know about you, how you respond to chaos in your life, but when things are out of control for me, I'm not usually just sitting and relaxing. I think this points to the fact that that God is in control. He is at peace. He's sitting on his throne. He's not stirred up in a way that's causing him to be frantic. He knows what's going on in the, the life of Isaiah, the, the country of Israel. He knows all of this, and he knows what's going on in our lives today. He is not stirred up to where he has to get up and be frantic and try to figure things out. He's sitting on his throne. He is a glorious God. The next thing we see is that he's high and lifted up. And and this could be taken literally that that Isaiah was looking up into the heavens, looking up and seeing uh, God is above all things. When I was uh, in the secular world and I started out in printing and I was running a press and I got promoted and was a supervisor. And and so I thought, man, I'm moving up. I'm not going to have a boss over me. And then... Um, I did have a boss over me, and I, I moved up to a manager, and I thought, man, this is nice. This is the next step up. But regardless of what position you have, there's always somebody that you have to answer to. Amen? But not God. God is above all things. His glory is revealed. He's high and lifted up. He's sitting on the throne. The next thing we see is the train of his robe is filling the temple train of his robe. I would imagine this is just a huge train of his robe that is massive. And and, uh, we see that Psalm 104.2 says, God's robe is described as light. And so we have this bright, blazing image of God being high and lifted up, seated on his throne, train of his robe, filling the temple. Glorious, glorious God. It reminds me of the song, the chorus to I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it says, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. This is not all Isaiah sees. Look at verses 2 through 4, and we see what's taking place with a seraphim. In the Hebrew language, the I am after seraph, seraphim, it signifies plurality, which literally means, again, burning one, fiery one, or glowing one. So we have even the, the seraphim are bright, glowing, this burning image that Isaiah is looking at. Have you ever tried to look directly at the sun? I know that we always tell our children, don't look at the sun. But it's very bright. And especially if you come out of a dark place and you walk out into the sunlight after a movie or if you come out onto the beach and and just this bright, blazing image. And I think that this this is what Isaiah is seeing, but he's still able to make out the images of what is going on here. So it's just just this bright, bright 
blazing presence of the glory of God. Some other things that are interesting to me that we see in the text. The first thing is the seraphim are covering their face with their, one of their pair of wings. And covering their face undoubtedly because of the overwhelming glory of God's holy presence. They dare, they dare not gaze at the glory of Jehovah. The next thing they're doing is covering their feet. And this is an acknowledgement of the lowliness of their glorious service. They're serving. They're worshiping God. They're covering their face. They're covering their feet. And the third thing we see about them, they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy. This is almost a chant that they're doing back and forth with one another, singing praises to the glorious God. Worshiping and praising Him. Anytime a word is stated in triplicate, it is the Hebrew way of denoting intensity. The triplicate is the strongest way the Hebrew language can express the superlative. This underscores God's extreme, unsurpassed level of holiness, an infinite degree of holiness. Now, the last thing we see about the seraphims is when they're crying this praise out to the Lord. The foundations of the thresholds tremble. The voice of the seraphim, the voices were so powerful that the sound waves caused the temple foundation to sway back and forth. What a glorious, glorious picture this paints of the glory of God. The glory of God is revealed. Let me share with you Revelation 4, 8 through 11 a New Testament example of what's going to happen and what is happening. The four living creatures, each one of them, this is Revelation 4, 8 through 11. Each one of them having six wings, there it is again, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne... To him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. This is a glorious God that we serve. Amen. From today in the Word devotional, I want to share with you this. According to a report on the history of the automobile, the boom in the fast food industry may be explained largely by the car's interest into Ameri- entrance into American daily life. The first car hops appeared in the 1930s, allowing people to eat without leaving their cars. Then in the 1970s, some restaurants tested the idea of drive through service. The new service was a big hit with people who were too busy to park and eat, let alone sit at a table. drive through service, cell phones, beepers, and other time-saving devices say a lot about a culture that always seems to be in a hurry. Unfortunately, as Dr. Tony Evans points out, this hurry-up-and-get-it mentality has invaded the church. The result is that many Christians want their worship the way they want their hamburgers. They want to drive up to church, grab an hour of worship, and drive off what Dr. Evans called drive-through worship. Nothing could be more opposed to this mentality than the awe-inspiring heavenly scene before us today. 
The vision Isaiah saw would bring the busiest drive through worshiper screeching to a halt. In Isaiah 6, the curtain is pulled back on the never-ending worship of God that fills heaven. One purpose of Isaiah's vision was to commission him for service. Yet another purpose was to reveal God's holiness and worthiness to be worshipped. We catch a glimpse of the ceaseless worship that angels of heaven render to God, and we can almost feel the doorposts and thresholds of the temple shaking. It brings me to ask you this question. Is your worship being offered on his terms and timetable, or has it become a drive-through experience? So we see God's glory revealed. The next thing we see in the text from Isaiah is he has a fearful response. Isaiah's fearful response is the second point. We read Isaiah 6, 5 again so we can see what Isaiah does. He says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, mind you, Isaiah is not a bad person. Yet the first thing he realizes when he sees the glory of God is that he is a man of unclean lips. And he cries out the word, woe. That word means alas, which in turn is an exclamation expressive of sorrow, of grief, of pity, and concern. Woe is me. We see this happen in the New Testament when Simon Peter has an encounter with Christ. Jesus is working a miracle and and showing him how to catch fish and more than that, to be fishers of men. But look at or listen to how he responds in Luke 5.8. Luke 5.8 says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When someone is confronted with Jesus, it is impossible to remain neutral. His enemies react to his miracles with hatred, while his true disciples with reverence. They stoop and worship. Another New Testament example would be in the life of Paul. We see that Paul exhibited a similar increase in awareness of his sinful state as he grew in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let me read a couple of them to you. 1 Corinthians 15.9 1 Corinthians 15.9 says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not, who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Later on in, in Paul's life, when he penned Ephesians, Ephesians 3.8 says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And again, even later, he's writing to young Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15. Notice he's getting older, he's going longer on his journey, yet the closer He's getting to become like Christ the more God is revealing his shortcomings. 1 Timothy 1.15, I'll read it. It is a trustworthy statement 
deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Job, we've been studying in Bible study, some of us. When Job saw the Lord, he cried, I repent in dust and ashes, Job 42, 5 and 6. Should we respond any different? When we come and experience the glory of God and it's revealed in our lives, should we respond any different than to come to a place of sorrow and repentance in our life? Ray Ortland wrote, Woe is me, those are the first words spoken by Isaiah himself in his book, and they pronounce a prophetic woe upon himself. For the first time, he really worships God. For the first time, he sees that he's typical of his generation, whose faith was unthinking and glib. Their mouths were not filled with worship, but with flippant repetitions and self-justifying excuses. But now Isaiah sees himself because he sees God, and something new is entering his heart. Humility. Oh, how we need the humility of Christ in our churches so that we can take the love of Christ and and go out into a world that so desperately needs to experience His salvation, His forgiveness. But we as a church, churches, I'm saying that in a general term across the world, need to experience the glory of God in a radical way that changes you and I so that we can go out and share genuine humility and love for people. Isaiah also said that he had unclean lips. And we know that the words of one's lips often reflects the state of one's heart. Even Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Luke 6, 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Isaiah responds with fear because of seeing the awe and glory of God. But God doesn't leave Isaiah in this state. Third thing we see is that God provides redemption. Amen? God provides redemption. And we see that in Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth. And said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. The coal that was used is is God's vehicle for purifying his prophet of his uncleanness. Isaiah is an excellent Old Testament illustration of the powerful principle taught in 1 John 1 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the progression there. Confessing our sins. We have to start with confessing our sins. Then God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see that in what's happening in Isaiah's life. He sees the glory of God. Confesses woe is me. And then God is providing redemption by sending the seraphim. Wearsby writes how tragic it would be to have the throne without the altar. There would be conviction of sin, but no cleansing. Note that it was more important for the seraph 
to equip Isaiah to be a soul winner than to praise God. True worship ought to lead to witness and service. Too many Christians want to hold on to a spiritual experience with the Lord rather than be prepared to go out and share the Lord with others. We're familiar with the text, John 3.16. Many of us could probably quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember the first time that you became a follower of Christ? Do you remember that point in your life where you truly surrendered and, and turned everything over to the Lord? Do you remember how excited you were to, to go and to share that news with, with family and friends and sharing about what Jesus did for you? Something happens over time where we lose that, that zeal and that passion. And, and maybe it's the, the world, the busyness of the world, but I think that, that we need to put ourselves in a place to have a genuine experience with the glory of God on a regular basis so that we can come clean and ask God to forgive us for things that, that may be stifling us from being used for Him and then joyfully go out and share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. If you were a doctor that discovered the cure for cancer, you can bet you would be all over the place sharing this great news of this healing remedy for cancer. And we have much greater news than that. We have news of a gospel that promises eternal life with a loving Savior if we repent and turn away from our sinful lifestyle and put our faith and trust in Christ and the Word of God promises us that we will be with Him forever. That is good news, my friend. So Isaiah saw God's glory revealed. He fearfully responds and repents. God offers him redemption. And last we read that Isaiah accepts responsibility. Isaiah accepts responsibility. And that's in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Then. The word then is what some of your text says. Then I heard. When is then? Well, it happens when he has cleansed us from our sin. When he cleansed Isaiah from his sin, he was able to hear clearly. Now Isaiah is fit for holy service, for he has been cleansed, set apart, and made useful for his good work, for God's good work. There's a powerful principle here. When our heart is filled with unconfessed sin, surely our ears are stopped to God's still small voice. Let me ask you this morning, how is your spiritual hearing? How is your spiritual hearing? Is there unconfessed sin in your life that is stopping you from hearing that still, small voice of God. Oswald Chambers, he wrote, God did not address the call to Isaiah. Very interesting that Isaiah just heard God. God didn't say, Isaiah, who will go for me? He just said, who will go? And Isaiah responds. Get back to Oswald Chambers. God did not address the call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? The call of God is not just for the special few. It is for everyone. 
Whether or not I hear God's call depends upon the state of my ears, and what I hear depends upon my disposition. Many are called, but few are chosen. That is, few prove themselves the chosen ones. The chosen ones are those who have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, whereby their disposition has been altered and their ears unstopped, and they hear the still, small voice questioning all the time, who will go for us? It's, it is not a question of God singling out a man and saying, now you go. God did not lay a strong compulsion on Isaiah. Isaiah was in the presence of God, and he overheard the call and realized that there was nothing else for him to say except in conscious freedom, here am I, send me. Get out of your mind the idea of expecting God to come with com- compulsions and pleadings. When our Lord called the disciples, there was no irresistible compulsion from outside. The quiet, passionate, insistence of his follow me was spoken to men with every power wide awake. If we let the Spirit of God bring us face to face with God, we too shall hear something similar to what Isaiah heard, the still, small voice of God. And in the perfect freedom, we will be able to say, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah heard God's call for the first time and responded to it, as a cleansed individual would do. There are too many people today who are asked to do something in the church who, first of all, ought to get cleansed and straightened out their lives with the Lord. They need to have their lips touched with a living coal. They need to confess the sin in their lives because of their service will be sterile and frustrating until that forgiveness takes place. Matthew four eighteen and 20 says, Walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, which means instantly, they didn't question it. They didn't wonder if this was the right thing to do. They immediately left their nets, which were temporary things, and followed Christ for the eternal things. From our text today, we can see that servants of the Holy King may be called upon to worship God and praise Him with the heavenly host, may be called upon to repent of daily sins in order to enter and stay in the presence of God and to serve the King. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the midst of confusion in your life or uncertainty. The company you work for is just merged and you're wondering, will you still have a job next month? Perhaps you and your spouse are growing apart and you're wondering, is is my marriage going to survive? Maybe one of your children are rebelling against everything you believe in. Will their future be ruined by making so many poor choices? Have you seen the glory of God? Have you been made aware of sin in your life and you need to repent and confess that to Him this morning? Have you experienced God's forgiveness for your sin and genuine salvation? Have you heard from God, that still small voice, and agreed to follow Him? I ask you again, what's your next step? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the Word of God where we can see 
in the life of a prophet that you used. Lord, that had a genuine experience of seeing your glory. And Father, I pray that it will be a reminder to us today that maybe we're not getting alone enough and spending time with you and just being in the presence of you as a glorious God. Because Father, as we see in the word, when we have an encounter with you, it changes us. God, you call things out in our life and sometimes it hurts, it's painful. We don't like to admit, God, that there are things in our life that, that we'll just call it like it is, it's sin. And so, Father, my prayer is, is this morning that we would get real with you. That, Lord, during our song of invitation, that, Lord, if there's some here this morning that need to come and, and just lay down something at the altar, uh, ask you to forgive them and cleanse them, I pray they'll do that, God. We know that, that your desire is, is to be in holy communion with us, and, and Father, Unfortunately, sin gets in the way. And Father, there may be some here this morning that have been praying about serving in missions and they haven't been able to just get quiet enough to hear you calling out who will go. There is a great need for the children of God to be the light. And Lord, that's my prayer that you will help all of us today to surrender to the call of serving you and to share you in this dark world. Lord, it's our prayer that we'll do that during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the, uh, the world, as I, I said, with the turmoil, things that go on, it seems to be getting darker and darker. And, and I'm just convinced that the problem is not with the world. The problem is the church is ceasing to be the light of Christ in the dark world. And it's time that we get real with God. We come clean and we say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I do that block me from being used by you. And allow him to bring that forgiveness to you that he so graciously does. And then to be mightily and powerfully used for him by sharing his glory all into the world.